The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour. Uh, my my guest this hour was on the show back when uh, the, this book that we're going to talk about, uh, in part, first came out. It's called Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. It is... Uh, written by the best-selling author of Bobby Kennedy and Satchel, um, as, as well as Superman, the father of Spin, Homelands, and Rising from the Rails. Um, anyway, Larry Ty is his name, and he joins me uh, by phone. The book is out in uh, paperback now. Larry, welcome to the show. Hello, Larry. Are you with me? Well, I might have to. Uh, I might have to disconnect and and reconnect with Larry because we seem to have something wrong. Welcome to live radio, folks. I think I'll. Uh, I think I'll do just just that. I'll. Uh, that was. Let's let's try this again and see if we can get this going. Okay. Yeah, hi, Larry. Stand by. And there we are. And again, welcome to live radio. Uh, My guest is Larry Ty. Hi, Larry. Welcome to the show. So great to be back with you, Tom. I I don't know what happened. I, uh, I, I think it may be the cicadas up here on Cape Cod. You think? <laughs> I think? Who knows? Larry, you were on the uh, on the show 
when uh, Demagogue first came out. Now it's out in paperback. And uh, it is, of course, uh, the life and long shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. Um, a, a lot has happened since the book first came out. Um, and, and I guess I just, <laughs> as an icebreaker, what determines when a book is going to be uh, reissued in paperback? Do you just run out of the hard copies? Um, so publishers decide <laughs> that they have exhausted all their hard copy sales and they're eager to reach people who can only afford half as much as a hard copy, um, <laughs> and that's when they do it. And they also, they're trying in a big way, um, publishers these days are eager to sell every book they can, and they're trying to sell it in a student market as well as a general market, so uh, paperbacks are a whole lot more realistic for poor students to be able to afford. Well, it, and I'm, I'm going to read a little excerpt from some press about the book. It says, In the long history of American bullies from Huey Long to Donald Trump, never has one man caused so much damage in such a short time as Senator Joseph McCarthy. Um, you know, in, in several of the uh, comments and praises of the book, Donald Trump's name is mentioned. Um, is there a, a fair comparison between Donald Trump and, and Joseph McCarthy? And could Joseph McCarthy have hung on the way Donald Trump seems to be trying to? So there are two answers to that. One is that um, the comparisons, I think, are there on every page. And yet I try not to give them with a heavy hand. So I only mention Donald Trump's name in the preface and in the epilogue. But when I was reading clippings on what happened to Joe McCarthy 70 years ago, I, it, on certain days, would forget whether I was reading about Trump or McCarthy. The names were interchangeable. The press coverage was interchangeable. Their tactics of taking a legitimate fear that the public had, and in the 1950s that fear was of the legitimate enemy that we had in the whole Soviet empire and suggesting a simplistic answer to dealing with that fear. In McCarthy's case, the answer was that all you had to do was get rid of the people he was naming as being alleged spies in the State Department and in the White House and across our government, and that's all we had to do if, we, if the President and Congress just went after those bad guys then everything would be all right. And the sad truth was that he was recycling names, that his lists weren't real, and that he was giving us a, a knee-jerk rather than a serious answer to a real problem. And I think that's precisely what Donald Trump did during his presidency. He said all of our woes, all of our economic insecurity was the result of rapacious immigrants pouring across the southern border. And I think that it is not just me speculating that Trump learned a lot from Joe McCarthy. It was a there being a flesh and blood through line. Donald Trump's uh, mentor in the 1980s and 1990s was Joe McCarthy's protege in the 1950s, a lawyer from New York named Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn learned all the lessons that his boss, Joe McCarthy, was teaching and passed them on half a century later to Donald Trump. And so this is a long-winded answer, but I think 
There are direct connections, and I think that to understand what Donald Trump did the last four years, we have to understand Joe McCarthy. And you asked whether McCarthy hung on as long as Trump seems able to hang on, and I would say the evidence that he has is that you and I, 70 years after his crusade, are still here talking about him, and that McCarthyism still seems live and well all across the world. But there was a clear rise and fall of Joe McCarthy, and there seems to be something different about Donald Trump and his efforts post-election loss to mount a comeback. Um, and, And people seem to be going along with that. And yes, there's a difference, but I would argue that there was a rise and fall of Donald Trump. The rise was his being elected to president, the presidency, and the fall was his losing by a substantial margin his bid for re-election. And yes, there are people hanging on to him and his ideology, but there were people after the, the Senate censured Joe McCarthy, he still had a, about 33 or 34% public support in all the Gallup polls, and that is precisely the level of support that Donald Trump has enjoyed you know, since he lost the White House. So, yes, they both hang on, and we'll only know in the future, maybe invite me back in three and a half years, and we'll know whether Donald <laughs> Trump succeeded in coming back the way Joe McCarthy couldn't do, or whether, like Joe McCarthy, he was a specter that was always out there but never could regain the kind of support he had at his height. Yeah, and interestingly, the rise and fall of both men is about four years. Is is there a shelf life to the momentum that, that bullies like these can... Uh, last? Uh, So let's hope so. Uh, I think in the long (laughs) history of demagogues in America, and they start shortly after our revolution, and they go on as we see till today, uh, the, the bad news is that we keep buying into demagoguery and bullying. The good news is that given enough rope, every demagogue in American history has hung themselves And given enough time, the American people have regained and rediscovered their better selves. And as you suggest, that shelf life, the same way we go into a store and we buy a carton of milk, and it says, best to use by this date, and after that it could go sour, uh, the shelf life of demagogues, the the longest-lasting one, seems to be just about the same, which is four years or one presidential and two-thirds of a Senate term. And, and um, was that true of Huey Long as well? Um, so it was. And Huey Long, so the question is, what would have happened to Huey Long had he not been assassinated? Could he, uh, President Franklin Roosevelt thought that Huey Long posed a real threat to him, and he was worried about it. I think that that, that was Roosevelt just being cautious, but would Huey Long have stuck around longer and would he have really made it as he wanted to to the White House or would he have been a senator and governor who people saw through eventually 
and who faltered on his way to the White House. And I think given Roosevelt's popularity and given Americans' judgment, even during a crisis time like the New Deal, that we would have seen through Huey Long the same way we did Joe McCarthy and that we hopefully have Donald Trump. Now, I mentioned earlier, Larry, that um, you had also written uh, the the bestseller, uh, Bobby Kennedy. And was it you who was telling me that Bobby Kennedy had worked with or for Joe McCarthy early in his career? Oh, I did tell you that. And the story with the Kennedys and McCarthy goes even beyond Bobby. Um, Joe Kennedy the patriarch of the family and Bobby's dad, was a big Joe McCarthy believer from the early days. He thought he was just swell. And every time McCarthy came through either Hyannisport, Massachusetts, or Palm Beach, Florida, he would stop in and have a drink at Joe Kennedy's. Jack Kennedy, when he was a young congressman about to take on a very powerful Republican senator, uh, he Jack Kennedy basically knew that the one thing that could doom him, we're talking 1952, the year that Eisenhower was elected president, and Joe Kennedy and Jack Kennedy realized the biggest threat to Jack winning that Senate seat against a guy named Henry Cabot Lodge was if Joe McCarthy came in and campaigned for Lodge. That they knew there would be an Eisenhower Republican landslide in 52, and they knew that the Catholic voting base that Jack Kennedy was counting on to catapult him to the Senate, that if McCarthy came in and said, no, vote for Republican Lodge, that lots of Catholic voters who were McCarthy's base would go along with him. And so Joe Kennedy proceeded to give a whole lot of money to Joe McCarthy and asked him one favor, and that favor was stay the heck out of Massachusetts in 1952. McCarthy obliged, Eisenhower carried the state by nine points, and McCarthy staying out helped Jack Kennedy win that Senate seat by a narrow three points. So Jack Kennedy felt forever a debt of gratitude to Joe McCarthy. He never voted on McCarthy's censure. He never said how he would have voted. And then Bobby Kennedy comes along, and he needs a job when he's graduating from law school and again, Joe Kennedy uh, makes a call to Joe McCarthy and says, hire my son Bobby. McCarthy does that. Bobby Kennedy's first real job in the world was working for Joe McCarthy. And to the end of Joe McCarthy's life, Bobby Kennedy def defended his pal Joe McCarthy. So America's number one liberal family has this strange link with a num <laughs> America's number one Republican conservative icon. That's that's fascinating. Hey, Larry, I have a break coming up here in a moment. Uh, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some I'd more? I'd love to. All yes. right. My, my guest is Larry Ty. He is uh, the best-selling author of Bobby Kennedy and Satchel, as well as uh, many other books, and the book we're talking about today, Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the uh, author of Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy, which is now out in paperback, Larry Ty. And uh, Larry joins me by phone. Larry, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Uh, no, it's great to be back with you. Um, we were talking about, uh, in the last segment, a little bit of a comparison uh, between um, Donald Trump and Joe McCarthy, and then uh, also the bridge between the Kennedy family and uh, and Joe McCarthy, and and also the length, uh, the the shelf life, if you will, of a demagogue. And um, you were talking about uh, we we talked about Huey Long, who was assassinated. Um, would he have fallen from grace the way so, that Joe McCarthy did? So the only basis that I have to say that Huey Long would have fallen from grace is that that's the history of America and its demagogues, and they all do fall from grace. And Huey Long had been around long enough that I think his ideas had been um, vetted, and I think much as people wanted to believe that they could have all the things that Huey Long in his populist message uh, were calling for. I think that people had faith in Roosevelt and what he was doing with the New Deal, and I think that they saw Huey Long's uh, promises as pie in the sky, that, they, that the sense that Huey Long was, in addition um, to being for the average person, the sense that he was also uh, a corrupt politician who used strong-arm tactics in getting what he wanted done. Um, it worked in Louisiana just the way it worked for Joe McCarthy in convincing voters in Wisconsin that he was the real deal. But the longer any of these people were exposed to the public, the more people saw through them. Joe McCarthy's undoing was two things. One, it was taking on an enemy that was too big to bully, in the U.S. Army, and the other was it was being exposed in the famous Army McCarthy hearings <laughs> night after night to the American public. And the guy who started out those hearings with a 50% popularity rating, trailing only President Eisenhower, our war hero president, every night the public got to see him, and they saw over time that he wasn't this great champion that they started out believing, by the end, he started looking more like the town bully. His numbers went from 50% at the start of the hearings at the beginning of 1954 to mid-30s by the end of the hearings that summer. And once his fellow senators saw his popularity plummeting, they suddenly developed a backbone, and Eisenhower developed a backbone and stood up to him. And by the end of that year, 1954, the U.S. Senate took an incredibly rare step in publicly condemning one of their own members. And I think that's exactly the same thing that happened to Donald Trump. The more that he was exposed to the American public in presidential debates, in, in endless Twitter feeds, and night after night on the news, the more people started looking and saying, wait a minute, this guy isn't the great populist hero, he is a bully. 
And there's no question that a large segment of the public uh, doesn't see him as a bully, but there's also no question that a majority of the public does, despite what he says about a stolen election. And in the uh, Army McCarthy hearings, the, the famous quote from Joseph Welch, it was Joseph Welch, right? It was Joe Welch, yes. The attorney, uh, and, and that, that famous quote, you know, um, what was it, have you no dignity? Have you no decency, sir? That's what it was. Last, have you no decency? So those may have been the most famous words ever uttered by an American lawyer in the history of America. On the other hand, they were not the spontaneous outburst that popular legend has it. What happened was, Joe McCarthy was attacking one of Joe Welch's young legal associates, essentially saying, Sky belonged to a liberal group, therefore must be a socialist, and that Welch and the country should spurn this guy. Welch stood up valiantly, uttered those famous words, defending his young colleague. Truth is, Welch had had in his back pocket entire months of hearing before that those very words. And Joe Welch, as good a lawyer as he was, better actor. And he knew that McCarthy had no decent. Larry, um, your, uh, your signal is getting kind of weak. Uh, is it any better now? Um, it's still sounding a little bit weak. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, I'm talking a bit louder and trying to get closer to the base of the phone. Is this any better? Um, well, I've got you turned up here, and, and I think we can muddle through. I just... So I'll try to be quick and loud. And the, the truth is that Welch had been planning that line. He knew McCarthy would go overboard, and by the time he delivered that line, most of America was wondering whether Joe McCarthy had any sense of decency and believed he didn't. And I think that it was um, not quite the spontaneous outburst, but it sure did work. How, how pivotal was that? Um, so it was very pivotal. It basically helped swing attention um, away from McCarthy, this lion of uh, the American heartland, and it made Joe McCarthy look like somebody that neither your Midwest nor the rest of America wanted to think of as somebody they wanted to represent them. And public opinion started going away from Joe McCarthy um, from that moment till the end of the hearing. And it was really, if a lawyer ever wanted to sound the perfect note, Joe Welch did it that day in that hearing room in Washington. Now, you mentioned uh, Donald Trump's uh, voluminous tweets and, and the media's uh, role in, in the rise and fall of both uh, Joe McCarthy and Donald Trump. Um, are, are demagogues their own worst enemy? They are. So the media has it both ways. The media helps build up the demagogue. It was being on page one day after day, and Joe McCarthy knew how to put himself on page one better than anybody. And the media helped make 
Joe McCarthy the same way it did Donald Trump. And in the end, when McCarthy and Trump started attacking the press, the media turned against them and helped bring them down. So you know as being a powerful member of the media how much the press can do for better and for worse. And you also know that you take on newspapers and broadcast media at your own peril if you're a politician. The media always gets the last word, and it had the last word on McCarthy, and I think in the end it will have the last word on Trump. Larry, if if you don't mind, um, you're still coming through kind of faint. Do you mind if I uh, if we disconnect and, and reconnect and see if we... No, I'm going to give you a, another telephone number to call when we do that. It hopefully will come in clearer. I t- tell you what, so you don't have to give your number on the air. Yes. Can you uh, call back on the studio line, which is... I will. Tell me the number. 810-339-8255. Okay, thank you. I'm talking with uh, Larry Tai. He is the author of a book about uh, the life and long shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy called Demagogue. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. He's going to reconnect, see if we can get a little better connection. And once again, I say welcome to live radio, folks. Uh, Larry Tai is uh, also the best-selling author of Bobby Kennedy and Satchel, as well as uh, Superman, the father of spin, homelands, and rising from the rails. And we'll see if we can make this connection work. And that's uh, Larry coming in right now. Hello. Yeah, there you go. Now you're booming. Good. That's a much better connection. Um, so, Larry, we were talking about demagogues and, and being their own worst enemy um is that is that part of does the public play a role in this are they um slow to realize when they're being duped or or that a a popular personality is in fact a demagogue so the public definitely plays a role in enabling demagogues to rise to power um the common element in all the demagogues we've been talking about, from Huey Long to Joe McCarthy right up into Donald Trump, is that exactly the, the same things that have the public buy into them, their eloquence, their, able, their ability to come up with um, often simplistic but seemingly compelling answers to our problems, their ability to manipulate the press, all of those things, if they could control themselves, could keep them in power. But every one of those demagogues starts believing their own rhetoric and starts believing their own invincibility and giving them enough time, they all go overboard and the public is wise enough to see through them. And so I hope two things continue forever. I hope that if we continue to buy into bullies, that those bullies continue to do extreme things that make us buy out of them almost as quickly as we bought into them. And in a way, it's inherent in who they are and what they do that eventually they'll go overboard. 
is there something about um, being a strong personality that is essential to public life that's easy to confuse with demagoguery? Uh, so there is, and, and anybody who's elected to office has a certain amount of puffery, um, a certain amount of rhetorical flourish. The question is, do they go overboard and start targeting people who are weak and vulnerable? Do they go overboard and start understanding uh, something that Joe McCarthy and Donald Trump understood well, which is if you can get away with telling a small lie, why not tell a whopper? And they both were the masters of the whopper. And there is a distinction between a politician and a demagogue, thankfully. And thankfully, most of our politicians, while they lack backbone often to stand up to demagogues, as we're seeing again today, they ultimately don't um, qualify as demagogues themselves. And I hope that that continues to be the truth. And I hope that, um, uh, that it is people like you with radio shows like yours that help us separate um, legitimate answers from demagogic ones. And to me, the best safeguard for American democracy is the media, is this uh, sanctified fourth estate. Well, um, and to that, to that end, uh, Larry, the the demagogues that we're talking about today are all Republicans. But are there examples of Democrats <laughs> that that have uh, been demagogue-like? Uh, so we were just talking about one, Huey Long. Okay, um, Democrats. George Wallace was a Democrat yeah. and was a McCarthy type demagogue, and sadly, demagogues come in all partisan stripes. Sadly, they come from all parts of the country. We've just been talking about Louisiana's Huey Long and Wisconsin's Joe McCarthy and New York's Donald Trump. They, every region of the country produces them, um, and the heroic figures in the McCarthy story were journalists um, like the famous broadcast journalist Edward R. Murrow, who took on McCarthy in a way and, and um, that proved to be um, one of the final nails in his coffin. There was the most famous columnist, the best-read columnist in America, who was one of the earliest to take on Joe McCarthy, and that was a guy named Drew Pearson, who had a very famous radio show and a famous newspaper column, and McCarthy went after him, but Pearson ended up triumphing. He outlasted McCarthy um, and took him on at every turn in those earliest days. And we can look to see heroes as well as villains in a story like Joe McCarthy's. And, and when you talk about demagoguery uh, going on today, and, and we're seeing it uh, playing out today, the, the lack of backbone that some politicians have, and the Republican Party is certainly struggling to figure out who's in charge. Um, do you think that that um, Liz Cheney can be a real problem for Donald Trump going forward? Uh, so I hope so. I would say that Liz Cheney, the closest thing we had in the McCarthy era to a Liz Cheney 
was a senator, the only woman in the U.S. Senate back in the 1950s, and her name was Margaret Chase Smith. She was a senator from Maine. She was soft-spoken, very seldom took on controversial issues. But in 1950, when Joe McCarthy was launching his crusade, she stood up with six fellow moderates in the U.S. Senate and issued what she called her Declaration of Conscience against Joe McCarthy. And Joe McCarthy pummeled her. He called her Snow White and her six dwarfs. Her six fellow senators became the six dwarfs. He tried to beat her when she ran for re-election in Maine. He deposed her from his powerful subcommittee where she had been a member. And he had offered earlier to help her become Eisenhower's vice president, and all of that went out the window. So she paid an immediate cost, but today, if history remembers Margaret Chase Smith for anything, it is taking on Joe McCarthy. And in the end, she prevailed. And I think that Liz Cheney understands the lesson of Margaret Chase Smith. I think that Liz Cheney wants her legacy to be one of standing up for truth and standing down the bully. And whether or not, in the end, she will prevail, we don't know. But history suggests that there's a damn good chance that she will. After the, the defeat of uh, Donald Trump, why are so many Republicans staying on board? They, they broke away fairly quickly from Joe McCarthy. So they're staying on board, I think, for the same reason that while some Republicans backed away from him, um, he had a surprising number who voted against his censure, and he had that surprising 30-some percent of Americans that still supported him. And I think two Republicans who are facing potential primary opposition, that 34% of Americans is precisely the, the group that they're worried about denying them their renominations. And, and I think it's all about counting numbers. And if Trump holds on to his base, that is a basis really important to just about every member of the Senate and the House who's a Republican today. And that's the base that could cost them um, getting renominated. Getting reelected is a different thing when they're trying to appeal to a broad um, segment of the electorate. So I think it's all a question. This is a long-winded way of saying it's all self-interest. And all they're doing is calculating, you know, what it takes to keep their office. It's not about the truth. I can't believe that Republicans, smart Republicans in the Senate and in the House, really believe that Joe Biden stole the election from Donald Trump or all of the other Trump lies that are out there. But all they care about is that enough people do believe that, that it threatens their continued um, place in office. Larry, the the book is uh, Demagogue, the Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. It's out in uh, in paperback. Um, but uh, what's what's next for you? Um, so the n- next book that I'm writing, um, it, which is sadly under too close a deadline, is one that uh, Tom, you're a lot more qualified to write than I am, given your background in music. It is a book 
called The Jazzmen, J-A-Z-Z-M-E-N, and the subtitle tells what it's about. It is how Duke Ellington, Satchmo Armstrong, and Count Basie transformed America. And it's looking, it's my reward to myself and my publisher's reward to me for spending three long years with a vile character like Joe McCarthy. <laughs> I get to spend three long years with three brilliant characters like Armstrong, Ellington, and Basie. Oh, that sounds like fun. And and uh, and I hope you'll come back and talk about that book when it's uh, when I would it's love done to. and out. Um, although I do enjoy our talks about characters like Joe McCarthy and Donald Trump. Um, but one of the things I was going to ask you is, well, in doing that, have you just been, uh, have you spent the whole pandemic just listening to jazz? Um, so I've done that. <laughs> I've been doing that on Cape Cod, which is a pretty nice place to do it. And I'm about next week to do my first post-pandemic interview trip to the great jazz capital, New Orleans, and I can't wait. Oh, great. Good for you. Um, okay, well, I, as, I, as I always do, Larry, and as you should maybe remember from last time you were here, I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about your about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Larry, do you have a website? I do, and it's very simple. It's my name, L-A-R-R-Y, T as in Tom, Y-E, LarryTie.com. It's a website that has my past books, my next book, and more than anybody would want to know about me. And I and I have to ask. I think we talked about this just a little bit, and we only have about a minute left. But I did want to get you to comment on uh, the father of spin. So the father of spin was a man named Edward Bernays. He launched the profession of public relations. He was the greatest self promoter and promoter of his corporate interests, his government interests, who any any client that would pay for him. And he was Sigmund Freud's nephew. He took his uncle's ideas on why people behave the way they do, and he helped reshape the behavior of America on behalf of his clients. And it was his techniques that Joe McCarthy borrowed in part to rise to power and to stay there for four long years. And, and how did you end up writing the book Superman? Because I wanted to understand why we as Americans embrace the heroes that we do. And I thought one way to see that was to look at our longest-lived hero. And because I was a Superman kid since I was little, and being able to call reading comic books and watching Superman TV shows work is not a bad way to make a living for a while. <laughs> Fair point. And, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong with truth, justice, and the American way. Absolutely. Those never go sour. Well, Larry, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Sorry about all the uh, technical uh, glitches, although I think we uh, suffered through pretty well. Great. Thank you, Tom. Take care. That was uh, Larry Ty, best-selling author of Bobby Kennedy and Satchel, as well as we just uh, mentioned Superman, the father of spin, homelands, and rising from the rails. He was also the co-author of a book with Kitty Dukakis called Shock. His uh, his current book is out in paperback, Demagogue, 
The Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. We'll be back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? 
Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Gentlemen, who are we scheduled to interview next? I've been waiting around now for three weeks. (laughs) Of course, our apologies. Our next guest is the junior senator from New York. Senator, first we'd like to welcome you here today. We hope this will be a happy interview. No, well, I mean, that's, I don't think that that would be, I doubt if it will be. (laughs) Senator is the father of nine children and a devoted family man. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with us here. I'm delighted to see uh, so many grown-ups all in one room. Senator, I wonder if we might switch for just a moment and keep the door open. Well, sir, we normally close the door for silence, you understand. I'm in favor of keeping that door open. (laughs) All right, we'll keep the door open. Thank you very much. Senator, as an out-of-stater, some people have questioned your motives for coming into New York. I grew up here in the state of New York. Well then, obviously it does have meaning for you. What exactly is New York to you and your wife, Ethel? Something that we will hand over to our children. (laughs) Mr. St. Ledger. Uh, Now that you're a senator, you must have some very, very exciting and vital things you plan on doing for the people of New York. No, I have no plans. Surely, Surely, Senator, you have some ideas. I just have no plans. (laughs) Well, what do the people of New York need? Well, I think you'd have to ask them. Senator, if we can can look ahead for just a moment, uh, do you think your brother Teddy will one day be president? If he wants to uh, join me and where I'm going, I'd be glad to have him along. said, uh, when would you like to be president? Now. Well, I think you know it can't be done that quickly. 1965, 1966? No, obviously you can't run for president until 1968. I don't think that's fair. (laughs) It's been rumored that you're carrying on a feud with the president. Now, of course, none of us happen to believe that. Didn't you pay him a visit just recently? A few days ago. Did you have a nice, friendly chat with the president? I showed up and he had guards to keep me out. (laughs) We understood, sir, that on a recent tour of the Western United States, you visited Mount Rushmore. I did, yes. With the great heads of Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln carved into the mountainside. That's correct. 
And as you stood there gazing up at that monument, did any particular thoughts come to mind? I'd like to be a part of that. another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Thank you. 
Tom Sumner Program.com comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart because it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner that dial, you're listening to Tom Sumner.